0: We are uh, in Romans 8 again, and uh, just in another month we'll be done with Romans 8. Um, but I, I like savoring this wonderful chapter. I think it's just uh, uh, the book of Romans to me, in, in some ways, is, is like the pinnacle of, of the Bible, and chapter 8 is the pinnacle of Romans. So I don't want to hurry through this, although today we're going to go all the way from verses 18 through 25, Lord willing, on the topic of the hope of glory. As uh, we have seen so far, that Romans chapter 8 is about the victorious man, but, but being victorious doesn't mean that we never suffer defeat. Being victorious man or woman doesn't mean that we never have setbacks. Even the greatest teams of any sport, uh, there are very few who have unblemished seasons who have never lost or never been scored upon. Even winners lose. So one uh, uh, basketball player wrote about his life and career, a professional basketball player. He said, I have missed... More than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Signed Michael Jordan. You wouldn't think about who... The player, I think, is probably the best basketball player we've ever seen. You wouldn't think of him as losing. But imagine all those times that he, he was entrusted the game-winning shot and lost and missed it. Uh, even winners lose. And so even though we are victorious and will be victorious in the end... We still have times that we suffer defeat. There are, uh, from time to time, we lose. Uh, in fact, sometimes the defeat that comes upon us may seem to last for a long time. We've all lost. We all carry wounds of some sort. Uh, but God has given us the hope of glory. And Paul shows us how that works in Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25. First of all, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All suffering is eclipsed by the hope of glory. Now, there is a reality of our present suffering Paul is recognizing that there is such a thing but he says I considered that the sufferings of this present time Paul knew what it meant to suffer didn't he he was kicked out of towns and locked up in towns and jails and he was stoned and beaten and whipped and left for dead mistreated most places that he went he knew what it meant to suffer shipwrecked and all kinds of things more importantly our savior knows what it means to suffer he suffered deprivation in this world he knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty and to not have a place to lay his head he knew what it meant to have a a close friend betray him he knew what it meant to be beaten to be mocked to be crucified so this is purpose of this passage is not to deny the reality of present suffering suffering is very real but the purpose of the passage is to see suffering in the right light and that is in its comparison to future glory for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us Sure, sufferings can be very great here, but they are not even worthy of comparison with the glory which shall be revealed. The the comparison is that there is no comparison. It's not like the difference between apples and oranges. It's the difference between apples and stars. That's the degree of difference. And apples are not worthy to be compared with stars for glory imagine if you were waiting in a, in a long line if we, if we told you uh, everyone who lines up here is going to receive a, uh, a check for one million dollars you need to line up and the line would probably snake all the way back to my office and whoever comes up here, when it's their turn, they get a check for a million dollars guaranteed. Now, imagine someone in the middle of the line complaining that they have to suffer through all the waiting to get up here when there are people here standing in the front of the line. It's just not fair. If it was me, I'd probably be at the back of the line. That's how it is whenever I go to a checkout counter. You know, it's it's then when they run out of that tape stuff. You know, <laughs> with register tape or. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going on break now. Go to that other line, the end of that one, back back there. Yeah, you see, it goes around the corner. <coughs> That's your line. That would be me. But but after you suffer through all the waiting, and you finally get up here and you get your million dollar check. And someone were to ask you, was it worth the wait? Was it worth the suffering you had to go through to wait all that time and go through whatever you had to go through? It was worth the wait, you would say. And that's what it will be like when we get to heaven. Some of us suffer more than others here in this earth. I I just cannot account for it. I mean, I have seen so many people who go through... Their whole life is a life of suffering. And other people who just kind of glide through life, it seems like. And there's not much noticeable suffering. And so we have different levels. And God is in control of all that. And we trust Him. And we don't because we stand in the middle or the back of the line say, It's not fair. We trust God. And when we get to heaven, we will say... As that old hymn does, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And the suffering of this present life is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now the rest of this... Passage, verses 19 and following help explain really what verse 18 is about. Why it is true that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What is that glory that shall be revealed in us? Well, first of all, instead of us, Paul jumps to another subject and that is how creation itself also Groans, waiting to be clothed in glory. He talks about creation's present condition, verses 19 through 22. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans with labor, with birth pains together until now. <coughs> Creation's present condition is that it is subjected to futility. See that verse 20? For the creation was subjected to futility when or or why did that happen well it was in the garden of Eden because of the sin and Eve in the garden of Eden not only was Adam cursed and Eve cursed and the serpent cursed but also creation was cursed even the ground on which they stood was cursed because of sin and that curse on this earth remains Creation didn't volunteer or desire to be cursed. As verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't want to be. Creation was not uh, accountable for the sin. Creation didn't sin. You could say in a way that creation was collateral damage to the sin of man. Collateral damage. Because man sinned, creation was cursed. And so we live in a sin cursed world. Creation was subjected to futility. The idea of futility is that it can never reach its potential, creation will always be frustrated can never live up to the original design of what nature and creation was supposed to be and look like. You will always be frustrated. It's kind of like giving a great pianist a piano that has only black keys. That pianist could never really live up to his potential with such a piano. And so creation, because it has been sin-cursed... Can never live up to its potential. It's subjected to futility. It is under the bondage of corruption, verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So, since it will be delivered from that, it means it is at the present time under the bondage of corruption. And the word corruption could be translated decay it is decaying it is the opposite of evolution things are not getting better and better things are not evolving to a better state things are devolving to a worse state the bondage of corruption under which creation is subjected uh And that reflects the natural order of of everything. If you have a garden, uh, imagine leaving your garden untended for, oh, let's say, just three years. Okay, three days. But imagine what it would look like if you came back to it three years from now. Would it be producing more fruit? Would it be getting better? No, it would be all covered over with With uh, thorns and thistles and weeds by the way I'm having a bumper crop of weeds this year I don't know about you I'm doing real well in that category that seems that's the natural order of things isn't it it's not that it's going to on its own get better it's on its own it is going to get worse it takes work and time to maintain it because all creation is under the bondage of decay Even with that, even yet there is still so much beauty and wonder and order and variety in the created universe. So many wonderful things to see like the Grand Canyon or um, other natural wonders and beauties. The heavens and the earth still proclaim the glory of God, don't they? They still do, even with the decay. But can you imagine what it looked like in the Garden? How beautiful that was. Or can you imagine what it will be in the new creation? And so, creation is under bondage to corruption, wanting to be restored to the original intent of the Creator, the beauty, the wonderful creation that it was meant to be. And so, verse 22 all creation groans. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. The whole creation groans. Well, how does creation, nature, this earth, how how does it groan? Well, whenever a tornado rips through a town and tears it to pieces, creation is groaning. Whenever a hurricane floods and flattens a city creation is groaning Uh, whenever a forest fire destroys thousands of acres creation is groaning whenever the earth moves just a little bit a tiny bit it causes an earthquake and devastation and creation is groaning why? Because none of those kinds of things were in the garden. No hurricanes, no earthquakes, no tornadoes and so forth in the garden. But now, being under the curse, creation is groaning. And part of that groaning is the the problems that we see with this earth. Our climate and so forth. None of those things, by the way, will be in the new earth. There'll be no more tornadoes and hurricanes and so forth in the new earth. But now in the present condition, creation is groaning. All creation groans. And God, the creator, hears. He speaks to a storm and it is stilled. He sees a non-producing disobedient fig tree and he dries it up. He calls the stars by name. Verse 22 For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Well, what kind of labor is this? What kind of pain is this? Birth pangs, not death pangs the earth is not in the throes of death but in the throes of giving life of birth pangs because there is hope for new creation of what God is going to do and that leads us to creation's future hope notice verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope God subjected it but that wasn't the end of it the the sin and the curse is not the end for creation or for us he subjected it in hope things will not always be futile verse 19 for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God be, because God subjected it in hope, creation has an earnest expectation. Now, that's a marvelous phrase in Greek, translated here just as an earnest expectation to give a sense of it. But literally, what this phrase is in Greek is creation waits with an outstretched neck. With an outstretched neck. Like if you were If you're expecting something in the mail Something very important Your, your tax refund Or uh, A letter of acceptance to a university Or something And you're, you're just waiting for it And you're looking for the postman to come And you've got an outstretched neck You can't wait till they come there Or perhaps uh, You're waiting for a loved one to come And They were supposed to be there at 3 o'clock and there's been a snowstorm, it's now 8 o'clock and you're waiting for them and every time you hear a car coming down the road you're looking out the window and stretching out your neck as far as you can see, is that them? Waiting with an outstretched neck. Eagerly expecting, with earnest expectation... for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits waiting for what? what is creation waiting for? verse 19 eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God when the revealing of the sons of God happens creation is going to be renewed creation's destiny is linked with ours it is linked both to the fall and the curse and to the deliverance and the full restoration just as when man sinned and fell creation was cursed when man is restored creation will be restored as well and so that time comes that happens when the, the revealing of the sons of God that is when everyone knows these are the children of God at the end times. So it's not going to happen until that point is reached where every person who's going to believe has believed and all the church is gathered up yonder. Look at verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered. It will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God creation will be fully freed when the children of God are fully freed Uh, the hope of nature and of all creation is not through environmentalism how is this creation going to get better How is this planet and nature going to get better? Well, it's not by Mother Earth. It's by Father God. It's not through environmentalism. That's not our last great hope, the Green Movement or whatever. Now, I think that we should be wise stewards with that which God has entrusted us, and he has entrusted this planet Genesis 1, from the very beginning, he has given man dominion over the earth. And with that dominion comes responsibility. So I don't think we should be irresponsible in our treatment of creation, but we should also recognize that the hope of creation is not environmentalism. It is in people being saved, and when the last sheep is in the fold, creation will be renewed look at Acts chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 Acts chapter 3 19 through 21 319 says repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord the times of refreshing comes when the Lord comes from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began there will be a time of restoration of all things and notice the connection repent therefore so that as people come to know Christ they repent so that those times of refreshing may come because when the flock is brought together uh, Christ will return and he will restore all things (coughs) So creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the glory of the sons of men. And now, not only does creation wait, but all believers (laughs) await the hope of glory. Verses 23 through 25 of Romans 8. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body for we were saved in this hope but hope that is not but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly with perseverance so all believers await the hope of glory just as we saw the creation's present condition uh, we think of the believer's present condition in verse 23 and that is we also groan for relief not only that that is not only does creation verse 23 but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body we groan for relief. And our greatest relief will be when we are delivered from sin forever. Not, not just the negative consequences of sin. Or not just delivered from the, the pain of living in a sin-filled and sin-cursed world. And, and all the suffering that comes with that. But being delivered from the presence of sin so that we will come to a point where there is no more sin. We groan within ourselves for relief from that. Even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now the first fruits has to do with a first payment. The first fruits is like a first payment. Sort of like a down payment which guarantees the end. In, in this sense, it's similar to Ephesians 1.14, where we're told that the Spirit is the, the the earnest or the down payment, the seal of the guarantee of our deliverance to God, safe, that we will be saved. And so He is the first fruits, um, guaranteeing and securing that we will be brought home. He says, even though, even we ourselves, though we have the first fruits. Even though we have the first fruits, we groan. Well, we're, we're not immune to this groaning and desire just because we know one day it will all be made right and one day we will be totally victorious and totally away from sin. In fact, we know it's guaranteed, but we, in the present state, so greatly desire to be delivered from it. In fact, because we have the first fruits, first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit indwelling us, we are convinced of the glory to come, therefore we can't wait for that. And that leads to the believer's future hope. We eagerly wait. Uh, verse twenty three says uh, we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body verse 25 for if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance we eagerly wait that's the same expression given for creation but how much more should we eagerly wait for it than creation does and what are we awaiting verse 23 at the end says eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body so those two things the the adoption and the redemption of our body go together our spirit has already been adopted as we saw last week in verse 15 and 16 for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So our spirit has already been adopted and is assured of these things. But our body has not yet been adopted. Our body has not yet reached that point of renewal. Our spirit has already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But the body still resides in the kingdom of darkness under the sway of the wicked one in in this world. So our hope is in the future for our body. Verse 10 and 11 of Romans 8 says, For if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that's the the hope and the promise that Paul is talking about. You don't get to keep this body. It's not going to go with you forever. It's going to be made new, made brand new. And then you get to live in that body forever, a resurrected body. And so what is being awaited is that moment when Christ returns, we see Him as He is and we are changed in the twinkling in the moment of, the, of an eye. a uh, moment of twinkling of an eye and we're instantly changed and have resurrected bodies. In that moment, God's going to bring about the restoration of all things. So there is a glorious future awaiting. So we, we have the hope of glory. There are times that we do suffer defeat and we lose some battles and the enemy score some points against us. But we know that we can win now and we certainly win in the future. And so, the role of hope. Verse 24. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Hope is like faith faith is based on the things which are unseen Uh, the, the things that are intangible that you can't see right now we walk by faith not by sight not by the things we see but we trust God and we walk by faith well hope is very similar to that hope is based on on things that are not here yet We have them guaranteed to us by God, by His Word, by the first fruits of the Spirit. They're guaranteed, but we don't have them right now. For instance, you don't have your resurrected body right now. But we have the hope of that because it is guaranteed by God. And we wait for it based on God's Word. Hope is not wishful thinking. You know how we often speak of hope that way these days. You know, I hope it doesn't rain today or whatever. Um, I hope I get chocolate cake for dessert today. <clears throat> Sherry, I hope I get chocolate cake for dessert. There's always hope. But biblical hope is steadfast and sure. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews six verses seventeen through twenty. This is what biblical hope looks like. Hebrews six seventeen. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the imm- the immutability of His counsel. Immutability means it cannot change. It cannot be altered. The immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things. In which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge. To lay hold of the hope set before us. And this hope. We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is Jesus as our high priest has entered into the veil of heaven behind the veil into to the holiest of holies to make intercession for us and so it is guaranteed. We have this steadfast hope set before us it is an anchor of our soul, giving our soul um, a steadfastness and, and solidity, sure and steadfast. That is the hope that we get from, from God. W.H. Griffith Thomas wrote, uh, Hope is an essential element of our salvation and must never be omitted from our contemplation of what the Christian life means. Faith looks backward and upward. Hope looks, looks onward. Faith accepts, but hope expects. Faith is concerned with him who promises, but hope is occupied with the good things promised. Faith appropriates, but hope anticipates. It is in the power of this hope, which the New Testament calls that blessed hope, that we are to live and labor. Hope is always centered on the coming of the Lord and included in that on the resurrection from the dead with the complete deliverance from sin, likeness to Christ, and the full revelation of our sonship to God in Him. Therefore, Peter writes, Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in the Spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Colossians, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. John wrote, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So where is your hope? In what or in whom is your hope? If we place our hope in the things of this earth, this, this world system, this time here, we set ourselves up for disappointment. Where does so much of our disappointment come from? It comes from the hopes that we had in something or in someone, which were not met, when our hopes were not met. And so when we put our hopes in those things, we are bound for disappointment. But when we put our hope in the hope of glory, in what God has for us, we will not be disappointed people too easily put their their hope in in things or events or circumstances achieving something often good things like I hope to get that job or I hope to get a raise or I hope to meet this kind of a person or to have that kind of a spouse or um, I hope that in politics the vote will go this way or I hope I will be able to get this thing and the things and the people that we set our hopes in become idols of the heart. We're never meant to be... to find complete satisfaction with things on this earth or during this time. Never meant for anything here and now to be our, our satisfaction. And when we set our hope on the things here... We open the door for dissatisfaction and disappointment. Verse 25 of Romans 8. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We are willing to stand in that line however long it takes because we know at the end of the line God is going to deliver more than you can imagine. In fact, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Where is your focus? Where is your hope? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope of glory. And God, we pray that we would fix our eyes upon you. We recognize that um, even as uh, Katie so well sang for us moments ago, that uh, even in the disappointments in life and the trials in life, you are often working through those to bring about your greater purpose, to, to show us what real hope is, and what your, your um, design for us truly is, and the wonderful plans that you have for us as your children. Lord, help us by your Spirit to set our hope fully upon you, and at the glory of, to be revealed at your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.